Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. One of my favorite subjects to talk about is the heroic journey of the human experience. And I get to do so with a friend whom I love and adore. I'm talking with Christine Carlson today about her newest book, From Heartbreak to Wholeness, The Hero's Journey to Joy. Christine Carlson is a New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and leader in the field of transformation. After collaborating with her late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson, to create a publishing industry phenomenon with the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series, selling more than 25 million copies worldwide. Today, Chris is emerging as a profound teacher in areas that matter most to the human heart, how to heal and how to love. Her newest book, From Heartbreak to Wholeness, The Hero's Journey to Joy, she's offering us a process for healing that goes beyond common prescriptions for getting through the pain of heartbreak of all times. Welcome back, Chris. I'm so happy to get to be with you. Oh, you too, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me on again. I just, I love our conversation so much. You're just so wonderful and what a great program you offer to your listeners. Thank you for having me. Oh, uh, well, it's a pleasure. This is a subject that you and I have had the opportunity to speak about on numerous occasions, this heroic journey, the epic story of our lives. Wow. Um, talk about the inspiration for this book and the illusion of control that we we perceive ourselves to have about our lives. Yeah, that's a great place to start. So, as you know, you know, I lost my husband 11 years ago to a very sudden death of a pulmonary embolism and you know, we had this amazing marriage and just this wonderful life together of 25 years and then suddenly it was just one day he was here, the next day he was gone. And so I've been really writing about how to move through loss and how to move through grief to gratitude and joy for the past 11 years. And it, it really has been a journey, uh, really an epic journey, one with so many amazing, you know, new things that have happened and new grandchildren and new books and, and everything. And also there's been, um, the overcoming and triumph of heartbreak in it as well. And so I really waited, even though I've been in this conversation and I have written other books on the topic and blogs, I just really waited until this book really wanted to emerge. And, um, last year it was probably shortly after we had our last conversation, I really decided with a very close friend, Robin Sharma, actually, he's a, a leadership guru in, in the business industry, and he's very spiritual. And we were talking and, and he said to me, I really would love for the world to receive the depth of what you have to share on the spiritual level about your journey. And and he said, I think you should really write a book on, on those lines. And 
So I really thought about it. And within about an hour, he and I really outlined the beginning of a book, but then it just started to really flow out of me and emerge. And I had really realized that about five years earlier that I had been walking the hero's journey and I hadn't really been aware of it from the beginning of my grief, beginning of my loss. But certainly as I started to really dive into Joseph Campbell's work, I began to understand that I had in fact chosen the hero's path to healing. And so I wanted to apply my own, you know, my own observations and path to healing and, and really loosely use Joseph Campbell's art as the path to follow in healing. What's ironic about what you've just shared is Robin Sharma was a prominent expert in the documentary film Finding Joe. Yes, he was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was about the, the work of Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and the phases of the journey that we go to or go through as part of the cycle of life. So maybe yeah. talk a little about, you know, those, the loose affiliations <laughs> between those steps and, and what you speak about in, in the book from heartbreak to wholeness. Well, first of all, what I want people to be aware of is from heartbreak to wholeness is not just a book that's about the loss of a person in your life through death. You know, this is about a book about all kinds of heartbreak. And, you know, we've, we've seen so many people over the course of a year, you know, lose people to tragic accidents, to tragic incidences in the media, to um, fires, they lose their home to fires, they lose their, you know, they lose their identity in life in so many different ways. And that's what this book is really about is how to look at the event, the crisis event, the first chapter is called initiation by crisis. And, you know, Joseph Campbell clearly states that there's an event that happens, an initiation that really rocks your world, really turns your world upside down. And it does that. And it sends you with your broken heart or your life in pieces at your feet on a totally new trajectory. And that's when you really start what he calls, you know, the arc of the mythological story. Well, in healing, it's it's no different. You can look at this event or this divorce or this loss of health that you feel through the news that you've received from your doctor or the loss of your home or, or a tragic accident that's happened um, to a friend or family member. You can look at this as your initiation into a new beginning and into the arc of pursuing a new life. And most of us don't want to really sit in that and stand at that at the beginning of our crisis. I mean, we kind of really, most of us have that we lever back and forth between being the victim and the hero. And I, I talk about that a lot in this first chapter of From Heartbreak to Wholeness, that it, it's not what, what, it's not necessarily what you come to naturally is choosing the hero's path, but I just want you to be fully aware at this stage of your journey or any stage of your journey that it is a choice and that there's really just one question that you need to ask in order to step onto the hero's path. And that is, am I going to choose to be a victim or am I going to choose to be the hero of my own epic journey? And when you make that choice, you step on in an empowered way. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean the journey is going to be easy. It's it's going to have all the same bumps and, and bruises and curveballs thrown at you along the way. But you're going to come at life from a much more empowered stand than you would if you were mulling around in, in victim land and, and feeling very victimized by your circumstances. You know, when we talk about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey model or the mono monomyth, right, is another term for it. You know, the, the three major phases of separation from that ordinary life, which I think is what you're talking about. You know, when we get the blow when we have the catalyzing event that forces that initiation, you know, the crossing of the threshold into this new world of trying to slay the personal dragons um, and and heal that's the true adventure, right? It's in yeah, that ju it juicy middle part. Yeah, that your life is in order one day and then then your perfect life is shattered and you're in complete disorder the next. And you're right. And I talk a lot about the jagged edge of growth and that is all about looking at your personal dragons. And sometimes they're 
their actual um, their actual secondary initiations that come up and I definitely share a very poignant story in my own journey about a dragon and obstacle that showed up that was really right after the death of my husband and it was a horrible situation that I had to contend with for a very long period of time I had met a man on a plane and we'd had a very deep conversation and we left from that plain conversation just saying goodbye. And then he began a very long, protracted stalking campaign of harassment against me online and against my daughters. And he was obsessed with marrying my youngest daughter. And, you know, and it was just this very interesting, I call it a secondary initiation. It was this very interesting obstacle because here I was, a widow probably at one of the most vulnerable points in my entire life. And yet somehow I attracted this situation in my life. And I I really, as I looked back, and and I will say that it, it was such a horrible situation, ongoing harassment for so long that I can't say that I always had this perspective, but I can say that looking back, I realized that this situation really um, came into my view to call me into the being the hero. Like really soon, I mean, 11 months after my husband died, I lose my husband and I pick up a serial stalker. <laughs> I mean, it was, it wow. was incredible, like an incredible dragon to slay. <laughs> and, I, and I did have to really stick with like sticking on, I had to be the protector of my family. You know, I had to really stand in what it meant to be without my man and really stand up to something that was, was completely incredible, like to deal with from an author's point of view, growing my platform, you know, being committed to my journey of healing, being committed as, you know, coming out into the public eye as a, as a leader, as a thought leader and having this worse than a troll, like you could not call him a troll. I mean, I I talk about it in the book. It's a story that will turn most people's hair on their heads. <laughs> Ooh. Let's jump off for a, a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll talk more about From Heartbreak to Wholeness. To connect with Christine Carlson, please do so on her website, christinecarlson.com. There's also one for the book. Christine, it's from heartbreaktowholeness.com. Yes. And on Twitter, you can connect with Chris at Christine Carlson. On Facebook, Christine Terry Carlson. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Hang on just a sec. Before we go to the break, I want to share with you one of my top 10 happiness tips. It's been scientifically proven that getting a good night's sleep will absolutely contribute towards happiness and well-being. One of the ways we can achieve this is by creating a sleep sanctuary using the best and most comfortable sheets ever made by brooklinen.com. I've been snuggled in Brooklinen sheets for the past few weeks and am an official fan. These are the best, most comfortable sheets I've ever slept on. Brooklinen's mission is to bring five-star hotel quality sheets direct to you and your everyday life without the middleman or markup. This means all the comfy thread count and stylish design without the high prices. And guess what? Brooklinen.com is giving listeners of the show an exclusive offer. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use the code HARVESTING at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so sure you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. The only way to get the $20 off and free shipping is to use the promo code HARVESTING at brooklinen.com. Once again, that's brooklinen.com and the promo code is HARVESTING. Go ahead and make your bedroom your sleep palace with Brooklyn and the best sheets ever. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? 
Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind. It's free. It's legal. And I know that what we're talking about today will resonate for many. We're talking about the personal heroic journey, the story of our lives, um, when bad things happen, what we do, and how we transform as a result of them. My guest today is Christine Carlson. She is a New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and leader in the field of personal transformation. Her newest book is From Heartbreak to Wholeness, The Hero's Journey to Joy. Chris, before the break, you were sharing an incredible story about a stalker that entered your life um, just after your husband had passed and the craziness that ensued. And that's something that's a double whammy. Yeah, it really was. And I, you know, I put that in this chapter, the jagged edge of growth, because I think when you begin to realize that life happens for us and it doesn't happen to us, then even amidst the worst circumstances, if you ask, why has this shown up? What is this here to teach me? You know, I was constantly asking that. And there were a number of things that I, you know, gleaned out of that process of asking that question. And when you do, when you are able to sit, you know, in the unknown and meet that question amidst great adversity, amidst, you know, slaying your dragons and looking at your obstacles in the face and looking at your own personal, you know, identity crisis in the face, that's when you've really met the jagged edge of growth. And, and that's when you begin to start to um, unfold what is needed for the rest of your journey. And, you know, there are multiple journeys. I think we should probably talk about that as we think that it's one life journey. But in reality, there are multiple journeys within this lifetime, and each one of these journeys must end with some metaphoric death on some level. And in some cases, in the case of you and your husband, it was it was his physical passing. Right. Yeah. And I, I think when you look at that, whenever you're on this journey of healing, you have suffered the death of a life, a death of an identity and of course, your ego is in crisis at that point. You know, your ego wants to scream and sneak up and and grow very quickly in that situation. But what's really beautiful is that when you're at this stage and you're on such fertile ground of growth and your ego is very annihilated, that's when you get to really emerge. That's when you get to sit with yourself in a very authentic expression of who you are. And I know that as I chose to be the victor over my circumstances, and, and it really was a choice, I could see both paths for myself. I, I did know that my ego was annihilated, but as I chose to really step into healing and really step into the empowerment of what it means to heal, I just really realized that I was emerging and, and all of the barriers that I had created around my heart were completely shattered, you know, shattered with the death of my husband. But the metaphorical death is really that the ego dies, that yeah. when the ego dies, it allows us to be reborn. But in a sense, we're just becoming and remembering who we really are and and all of the identity piece not present any longer. So I think that's where, you know, there's the later chapters are about emerging and allow this story to emerge from you. And as you choose the hero's journey, part of the beautiful thing that's in the back of each chapter of this book is 
there's a soul mantra and soul inquiry, and then there's a transformational writing process because I really believe that your story is your medicine. And if you can write your story as the hero's journey, then you will in fact emerge the hero and at the end. And, and that is really all about returning to wholeness and joy. It's interesting. You write about the message in the mess, right? Which yeah. I, I love that because there is always a message in the mess, but it is the mess that gives the opportunity for the actualization or the self-actualization of the hero of each one of us. It's where we're called to step into our greatness or our growth or our transformation. That's right. And and it's true that if you are really, if you look for the message in the mess and you're open to it and it's revealed to you, that then becomes the real like juicy stuff for your journey and your story. That becomes what you will share with others that will inspire them, you know? And I talk about in my first chapter or my second chapter about shattering when my life shattered and it was really Oprah that brought me to my own message in the mess as I sat there and Richard popped up on the screen and this large screen behind me and I looked at him for the first time in a year and he was just kicking it with Oprah on the screen bigger than life and I turned to the camera and there were these golf ball tears popping out of my eyes I could barely breathe and she puts her hand on mine and we we have this conversation she says to me Chris, do you think that Richard's death has given you the gift to feel your life? And I, I look at her and I can barely croak out, yes, I, I believe that to be true. And I say that because, you know, we were just living our lives. You know, we married really young. We, were, we had massive success. We're just living our lives. And and yet there was a point at which I was feeling less passion than I probably should have been feeling. I was, you know, my kids were growing up. I was starting to feel the empty nest. And I, I wasn't really sure beyond holding Richard's space what my true role was going to be, what my true contribution was going to be in my life. And I was feeling the emptiness of that and sort of this malaise and sometimes something that can kind of come over you when you've had mega success and, and you don't know which way to go after that. And then, you know, and then I found myself in a complete and in dismay about it that I was so awake to things I had been asleep to. Like, seriously, I, I, I looked outside and I could see light and clouds and formations of life in, in the clouds that I had not seen in years and years and years. And I realized, wow, I was asleep to my life and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. I wasn't feeling as much joy as I could be feeling because I wasn't allowing myself to move through any sadness, you know, and I, all of this wisdom just was so prevalent and right there. And it, it was really an awakening, you know, it was really my, my shattered identity awakened me and awakened my heart to feeling my life. And and I think that was such a profound moment I experienced with Oprah. Wow, that's something. You know, it's like, you know, the quintessential heroic journey of Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, right? Dorothy yeah. finds herself, you know, from chaos in this unknown land. She goes on her journey to find her way home, believing that it was some external source that could provide the means to do that. And then realizes that she had it within her all along, but it was the journey itself that activated her power. Yeah, and that's so true. That's such a great metaphor. Thank you for that. And and feels very real for me and my own journey, you know. And of course, Wizard of Oz was one of my favorite shows when growing up, although when I was little I would like be scared after <laughs> I watched it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is scary, right? There were scary, scary elements in it, which is uh, mirrors what goes on in our lives, right? That we, in order to change, we have to have the adventure. The adventure is, isn't without the stress and the fear because that's the juice that actually allows it to happen. Yes, that's right. And, 
And yet I think the whole part of returning to joy and wholeness is, is so much about embracing the journey and just being willing to be in it, you know, being willing to sit in the mess and while the story is emerging, being willing to, you know, live your life and, and be stepping forward and not being stuck, you know, in waiting for life to happen or being stuck in fear, you know, and, and these are so much, this is so much of what I talk about in from heartbreak to wholeness is how do you move? Like, how do you get unstuck? How do you move forward? How do you allow this story to emerge from you? How do you allow to, how you allow yourself to emerge and rebirth a new life? One of the things I really enjoyed in from heartbreak to wholeness is the concept of using grief to assist us in making fresh choices, using the grief. In other words, instead of running from it or trying to uh, silence it. Yeah, it's so, that is so true that there's a term that I, you know, really used really early on in another book called Heartbroken Open and, you know, just feel to heal, you know, you have to feel it to heal it and really open yourself up to your feelings and not push them aside. And that, Grief is something that every, you know, that happens for everybody in unique ways. But for me and for many people, we talk about the waves that come of grief and that if you allow yourself to go into the wave and you allow the wave to be what it is and you don't resist it and you just go through it, that it's something that it, 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 there's an end point to each wave. It's not like it stays. You don't stay in grief. I, that was a big surprise to me, actually. I always thought, oh, grief is darkness. Grief is not darkness. Grief is just moments of deep sorrow, <laughs> yes. deep sadness. But there's a lot of light in grief. And I would be so surprised that when I opened my eyes from a, a grief moment, I was just seeing life with whole new eyes and, and it was fresh and it was beautiful. And I would be in bliss once I allowed myself to feel my feelings. And that's, that's the paradox is that when you're in grief, it's not all darkness, you know, and there isn't, it's not all sorrow either. There's, there can be tremendous moments of joy and a different kind of joy, a deeper joy, a deeper feeling of life. And I think that's what is so surprising sometimes. And in the book, you also talk about the the legacy of love. And we don't have much time left, so maybe we could just tease our listeners. <laughs> so so they run out and buy from Heartbreak to Wholeness, which I highly recommend. <laughs> Thank you. So talk about love, the importance of love in this process. What I really love is this quote from Rumi, and I'm just going to turn to it really quickly and read it to you all because it's such a powerful quote. It says, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. And I think of like that is so profound that, you know, many people go through heartbreak for different reasons many times in their lives. And if it's relationship that you're in heartbreak from, it becomes scary to love again. And certainly now that I'm on the dating scene and I'm single, I, <laughs> I mean, well, I've been, I've been single for a long time now, but I, you know, I just, I realize like how much baggage people are carrying around from their previous breakups and from their divorces. And, and just in the way that, that I see those barriers in people that they've almost lost the ability you know, with all this online hoopla, you know, with this swipe left and swipe right, they've almost lost their ability to really dive into a person and get to know that person for more than just the image that they present. And I believe it's because they have such great barriers that they've built within themselves to love. And, you know, and each time you fall in love, if you if you don't allow, if you let yourself be heartbroken open then you have the opportunity to become better and not bitter. And I think that's such a powerful statement, you know, to know that our heart does break, but as it heals, you're actually become clearer, stronger, and more able to love bigger with a higher capacity for love. But you have to make that choice. You really have to make that choice to allow yourself to be the hero of your story, to allow yourself to walk the hero's path of healing. You know, what? how would the hero heal when they're broken? They'd step up. They'd step up. They'd get up from their fall. 
they're not going to sit on the ground and, you know, be in grief and pity and moping forever. You know, definitely you have your moments and everyone does, but you've got to get up. You have to get up and you have to look at this life and say, I can forgive. I can let go. I can move forward. I can love again. We are out of time. My guest today has been my friend, Christine (laughs) Carlson, and I'm so happy to celebrate your new book, From Heartbreak to Wholeness, The Hero's Journey to Joy. To learn more, please visit christinecarlson.com. You can also learn more at fromheartbreaktowholeness.com, on Twitter at Christine Carlson, and on Facebook, Christine Terry Carlson. I send you a big hug of love, my friend. Oh, thank you, Lisa. That was wonderful and beautiful. Thank you so much for having me on. Always a pleasure. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, The glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about post-traumatic growth, moving from tragedy to transcendence. And my next guest is completely illustrative of this. We're talking with Dr. Erica Miller about her new book, Don't Tell Me I Can't Do It, Living Audaciously in the Here and Now. Dr. Erica Miller holds a PhD in clinical psychology and has written extensively on topics of positive psychology. She is the author of Thanks for My Journey, a memoir chronicling in part her experience of living in a Nazi holding camp in the Ukraine between the ages of 7 and 11. Don't Tell Me I Can't Do It, Living Audaciously in the Here and Now is her newest book, Chronically Gifted, Aging with Gusto, Dr. Miller is a sought-after clinician and motivational speaker, most recently addressing such topics as overcoming life's challenges, the importance of education, aging with gusto, and achieving one's full potential. And she is here to dance with me today, and I'm very excited. Dr. Miller, welcome. <laughs> okay, may I just make a little correction, because I am, I am a uh, professor and so forth. My latest book, <clears throat> Don't Tell Me I Cannot Do It, uh, is my second, but I just came out uh, chronologically gifted, aging with gusto, a practical guide for healthy living until 1823. It is an international bestseller, and I cannot believe little me is now all over the world. So I just wanted to kind of add that part because it's kind of like, you know, I want to make it clear that that is my latest book. Fantastic. Well, you have had quite the journey, beginning with going back to when you were a young child, growing up during the Holocaust. How did your experience during the Holocaust shape you to the person that you've become, which is absolutely spectacular and positive? I'm very clear. Everybody's different. We react different to trauma. I've been able this little curious little kid, seven years old with the big eyes, and I could not understand what the mayhem, the beating, the killing, all that which I experienced for uh, four years. And what it did for me is I toughened up. I had to be strong for mama because my uh, five-year-old sister, she was wailing and whining and crying all the time. So what that experience did for me is literally the title of the book that I wrote, 
mainly for young people, for students that are so confused, they don't know where to, to go. It's like, don't tell me I cannot do it. So that has been my mantra. Uh, counterphobic since I'm little, I did not know about it, but uh, I'm here just because I'm Jewish, I shouldn't have to die. Just because I'm a girl doesn't mean I cannot climb, you know, trees with the boys. So I cannot be married with kids and have a profession. So that experience to me made me who I am. So I didn't bargain for it, Lisa. But again, I am strong. I'm fearless. And I do not walk on the freeway. Uh, life is an amazing journey. And uh, I will not stop till I will exit. I will die healthily. At 123 is my goal. And ask me, please, how come 123? Please, please, please. Why 123? <laughs> is there some numerological formula to this? No, no, because there was a lady, a woman, a person in France, Jean Beaumont. She died at 122, and she was still, her cognition very intact, but she just fell or whatever happened to her. So I decided if she lived till 122, I can live till 123 and be in the Book of Guinness, whatever it is called. And is that <laughs> grandiose? Of course it is. But why not? Unless a truck hits me or something like else. I do not brag, but I'm going to brag this moment. I just last week, I came down from the mountains of Himalayan mountains with a National Geographic expedition. I went on up till Mount Everest. I climbed up with the youngins. And if that was not life affirming for me, I could do it. So again, please stop me because you have your own agenda too, right? No, no. Well, actually, my agenda is aligned with yours. I'll, I'll have what you're having. You remember that line from when Harry, when Harry met Sally? <laughs> I want some of that. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was life affirming because the mean age was there, you know, 50s, 60s. I will be 85 in November. I cannot put my arms around me, and I have a voice. I am not an ageist. Age is just a number, and I am attracting young people around me like crazy. They want to get old, healthy like me. How seductive is that? So that event, to be able, and I have pictures to prove it. They're going to be on my Facebook by the end of next week. To be able to keep up, not just keep up, to be just on top there, to be able to go 17,000 feet high after I tried the one on, in Cuscus, Machu Picchu, two years ago in Peru. But this was 17,000, huffing and puffing. But I was able to do it. Look at me. I can do it. It was life-affirming, and that is part of the theme we're talking today. We have to have visions, we have to have courage, and go for it. It's not getting there. It's a process of evolving till we die. Ta-da! You know, well, this, this is the, probably the key to a happy and successful life, but it is, uh-huh. in general, in my experience in working with clients in my practice and just observing the world, it is most often this attitude is the byproduct. It is the gifts of a journey that it was not always easy. Absolutely. I think just like you. So the brutality of people that I witness, but also the kindness so even today, if somebody is kind, you know, a, a gesture, I feel, you know, if it's personal, be, because like, for example, uh, I'm very strong and my family, you know, looks up at me like I'm a giant. I'm a little tiny, barely five foot, but I have feelings too. But again, I'm so contained so that when my husband died, so my daughter felt that I'm too isolated because he was the social director and I don't need a lot of people. But she made me join a, a synagogue in the neighborhood. And here I went by myself one Friday, and I was sitting over myself, not knowing anybody. And here the woman in the back, she says to me, she tapped me on my shoulder, you look like you're by yourself. Come join, sit next to me and my husband. Uh, tears were just gushing out of nowhere, but I know where they came from. The kindness from people. So going back to the camp and the atrocities that I witnessed, they were kindness from the Nazi, from the German Nazi, that, that I had this ambivalent relation where he threw me a piece of candy and I was sneaking there. I'm not supposed to just look at the big bad wolf. 
So it's the yin and yang of life, the brutality of people, which we know, but the kindness as well. So if somebody asks me as I lecture, how do you feel about the Germans? I said, well, how do I feel about Jews? How do I feel about Christians? They're good ones and bad ones. And we cannot, yeah. you know, hold the kids responsible for the sins of the fathers. So that's how I lead. I'm positive. I'm the here and now. I'm in my head most of the time, but I have feelings and emotions. And how lucky am I that I can lead, but I can also follow. You know, your story makes me think of uh, Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning. And, Uh you know, the book that he wrote, it was taken from him. It was rewritten when he was in the camps. And then when he was freed, the mission, his life's mission became this sense of purpose. And I think this is what you have taken on as your mission in life. Your purpose is very clear to me. We're only talking a few minutes. And it is to be a beacon of light and hope, optimism, positivity, and embracing life fully, because you can't change what has happened. Boy, you got me, girl. And may I call you girl? Yes. Oh, please. Oh, my gosh. Because I now believe that 80 is the new 30. So I'm definitely. Oh, my gosh. Because I will be I will be girl forever. And I know I have so many little stories. I have to watch you, but watch it. Uh, because the time is limited. But, I mean, one little story can uh, pops up. I'll share it quickly. I lectured. You know, there was usually, it's, you know, university age, you know, you know, boomers, whatever, you know. But here they asked me at, at our temple to talk in front of 11-year-old girls. They had, you know, inspiring women. And I thought to myself, what am I going to talk to 11-year-old girls? So here I come, and here I say, oh, hi, girls. I'm a girl. We will be girls forever. Boys cannot do it. When they're old like me, they're not going to be called boys. And you should have it all. Look at me. You should have profession and family. But my point is, girls, I will be a girl forever. And so will you. Right? Yes, indeed. (laughs) Indeed. Because I think that the, the pursuit or the journey comes to keeping that light, the pilot light turned on, you know, to be able to play, to have wonder, to be curious, to see that the challenge really is an opportunity, whatever the challenge is, to grow and to move into the next adventure in life. And this is what I see is so seductive about your story, which is a very challenging one in your early life. You know, but again, life is a challenge, and life takes courage, and how wonderful it is to have those challenges as we feel alive, as we grow, because complete, complete, you know, quiet and relaxation and perfection is actually, uh, you know, death, because we are always constantly evolving, just like the universe, and for me, mere fact to be alive, and I do not have the, the, the Holocaust, you know, regrets, how come I am alive, this and that, but I have such a need to empower, to, to uplift the, the vulnerable, to, to do what I'm doing. By me inspiring, I get inspired. I go in the, in the elevator, somebody, I look at somebody and they're just very serious. I make them smile. I touch people. I also hug, but I have to watch it because there's some, there is, there's some people in my community like Howie Mandel, if you heard about him, he does not like to be touched. So I have to, I have to watch more who I hug or not. But my, it's almost like, and I don't understand about upstairs, about God. I, I don't know. I know there is more than meets the eye, but I have, here I have a purpose, like you said, passion to be part of Repair the World, Tikkun Olam, yes. which is, a, which is a, a big, grandiose thing. I cannot, the world I cannot repair, but I clearly can and make a difference in my community, in anybody I touch, especially by traveling and lecturing all over the place and having the status now of international bestseller. I would have engagement in Canada and Australia and we are speaking about I have a voice when I didn't have one when I was little. So my beginning, I didn't pick it, made me who I am and how lucky am I that I'm strong, I'm healthy, 
I do everything. 80% is life choices, as you know. But I have some good genes, and I have been going to the gym for 40 years. Whenever I'm in town, like five times a week, cross with weights and this and that, I'm pescatarian. So it's not like I'm not leading you know, a, a, a healthy life, and I'm not obsessed about it. I'm, I'm not weight conscious. I'm really good. But it's also destiny. Like there is a place for me. There's a reason why I'm like a battery that keeps on going. And I really am telling you, watch me. We're going to need to take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue on the conversation with Dr. Erica Miller. To learn more, please visit www.drericamiller.com. On Twitter, you can connect at Erica Miller PhD. And on Facebook, Dr. Erica Miller. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. And other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about something that I feel is very important. And this is post-traumatic growth. How we move from tragedy to transcendence and transformation. And my guest right now is Dr. Erica Miller. She's a best-selling author. She's written several books. And I learned something very spectacular about her uh, during the break. And that is that she enlisted in the Israeli Air Force when she was a young woman or young girl, because she likes to be called a young girl even today in her 80s. So Dr. Miller, let's go back to that moment, because you told me that moving from the concentration camp, you eventually settled in Israel. Israel, and it's compulsory in Israel to enlist in the military. And you made a choice for a very good reason. And I say that with humor. <laughs> well, again, I feel very strong about things that I feel strong, don't we all? It is the law, it still is, that uh, both genders, when you are 17 and a half, 18, two years of your life have to be given to the, to the army. This is part of your, your privilege and obligation. The way you can escape it, if you have a girl, is either you swear that you are orthodox or you get married. So all my friends, I didn't have many, but at least about five, they all got married to avoid to go to the army. The pressure on me was horrendous, but I knew very clearly there's no way the country needs me. Are you kidding me? To be in the country, to feel safe? and to pay the dues to be part of the Israeli army. It's such a privilege. So I went to the interview. I said, I'm going to go to the Air Force portion of the military. And they, whoever they were, my friends, how, why do you think you're going to be able to do it? It's such a privilege, Air Force. And I said, watch me. And then I made the case and whatever. I'm not going to go into the details. I was in the Israeli Air Force for two years in the north, it was absolutely life-affirming, just like when I came down from, from Tibet. And, you know, from, it's like something new and purposeful. And I was, because I was educated, in those days, 
learning was not a, a something that was particularly looked for. It was mainly to work the earth, the country, the kibbutz, uh, the military, but I needed it all. I needed education. So I went at night school. I had two jobs during the day, and I went to night school for three years. I came there when I was about 14, a young girl, and I had my high school you know, diploma, so I was educated. So when I came to the Air Force, they put me in the office to take care of the pilots, of the supplies, and this and that. So I was in contact. I was the one that the pilots came to when they needed their plane being ready, and the privilege was I could fly with them, all kind of bonuses that by being in that position. So after two years, I was an old mate, you know, of my, you know, 20, <laughs> An old mate of 19, 20? <laughs> yeah, 20, you know, for 18 to 20, 21. And the pressure was horrendous. I was dating a guy, Moishi. It doesn't matter. But my heart was, I was very weird even then. I'm still unique and weird now. I did not think I need a man. I didn't think I wanted children. Uh, coming close to somebody is not safe because they can die on you and leave you. Because my first love, my pilot, Aaron, and it's in my book, From Trauma to Triumph, he never came back he kind of was shot down the airplane. So to me, I decided, eh, it's too complicated. So mm. I thought before I settled down with Moishi, I might, but let me go and travel the world and visit my sister who immigrated meantime to Los Angeles. It was unheard of, and I liked it, that a single young woman would go to Europe and here and there by herself. So destiny had it uh, that, you know, by coming here, I mean, the opportunities, whatever it is. I met my husband-to-be, who I was married for 53 years, and he died, you know, about five years ago. Yeah, it was amazing to me how the twists and turns of life happened and me going along with it. I really believed then that all Jews should be in Israel to help building the country. I clearly do not believe it any longer. But I used to judge Israelis that went to visit, never came back. So I felt terribly guilty that I stayed in the United States. I got married. I had two kids. I still did not take the citizenship. You know, I was on Israeli citizenship, and they told me, what if there's a war? What's the matter with you? Because my guilt was horrendous. But I went, I reached out for the opportunities here, but the thought that it will happen was unimaginable. That's what I'm saying. Life is a mystery, and we have to be open, and we have to be in change. We have to navigate our life accordingly to our opportunities. So, you know, but I have so many stories, but I know time is limited, so please take me away. Well, the, the question I want to ask you or is what advice would you give to a younger person who is undergoing traumatic events in their lives? You know, we see young people today, they're very confused. Gender identity is a problem. What What is success is a challenge. The media messaging is so strong that it takes people away from their own compass of what they feel is right, right. for themselves. What counsel can you give the youth today when they are undergoing difficult times, not just the youth, even older people, you know, who have been beaten by life. Absolutely. And you know what? And don't tell me I cannot do it. There's a number of chapters of titles. One of them is Live Life Today. And there the message is, your past does not own you. You own your future and your past is your toolbox whenever necessary. So when you are in the midst of, of pain or confusion. It's not an easy thing, but know that you cannot, you cannot, and you will not be there forever. You reach out for your support system. Uh, I hope you have one, and if not, it's very important to build on. Be open to some of the mystery and unexpected occurrences that life offers. Living in the moment is essential, and because you know what, it is the moment to be able to feel, to assess, because it's not problems, it's challenges. They grow through the challenges. So it's easier said than done, but you're not alone in the world, although it feels like you're alone. Reach out. Listen to my voice. So when I lecture, I, and I always, depending on the audience, listen to my voice of reason. You can do it. 
So it's like that is the, the mantra that I put out there for people that have situations that they feel they cannot move forward, they're stuck. Because understandable, we all have those moments, but people that are resilient, they reflect and they say, okay, this is not a problem, this is something I know I will be fine. And even if you're not sure, you need to be your comforting parent and reaching out for those that are in your life. And hopefully, and I trust most people have somebody, and it doesn't have to be family. Sometimes it's a neighbor, it's in life, you are not, you're not your past. The past is gone. The future may never be in the present. What can you do about it? Not what you cannot do. Yeah. You know, there have been studies done, which I'm sure you're aware of, of people who have survived trauma, who have survived heinous periods in their lives. And in the part of the research, and I'm thinking of one study in particular that was done in New York, they asked the people who participated, if you could go back and change history, you could change the story, and that thing uh, would have not happened in your life, would you do so? Would you trade out the memory? And all of them said no, because it taught them to be more hardy, resilient, appreciative people. Hey, Elisa, there's this song. Uh, is it, I don't uh, Clarkson, whatever, uh, like, uh, what is it? It's like hardships make you who you are or something like that. I'm blocking yes. the name of this song. Because we are, if we survive, uh, you know, in any uh, any unpleasant or traumatic, it doesn't have to be the camp, you know, in concentration camps. There's a lot of of traumas and hardship that happen. So the best thing that parents can do is self-reliant to raise self-reliant kids. Let them do whatever they can do, but out. So by being stronger, falling down and picking yourself up, and that's why Israelis, their mentality, there is no failure. Look, I mean, the, the startups that go on there are like crazy because even cartoonists, when they're little, there is no such things as, uh, you know, I cannot do it. You pick yourself up and you move forward. So that kind of thing, whatever we experience in life, make us who we are, give us wisdom. Hopefully most of us learn from experiences. So we are equipped. We have tools to move forward. So that is what the study says. That was my life experience. I absolutely, I, there is nothing, and you cannot be prepared because around the corner things just happen. But I know, and I preach that to my audience, you will be fine. You're not a dinosaur. We are equipped with the tools in our DNA to kind of fight or flight. So it's a challenge, not a problem. What do we need to do at this moment? Run, you know, to escape the bad wolf or stay there and be eaten. You have no choice. And the plasticity yes. of our brain teaches us how to adapt to new situations so we can learn till the end of our life. Dr. Erica Miller, we are out of time. So you have to come back oh, again and, ha and hang out with me, honestly. <laughs> Because we need a girl talk. We need some more girl talk over here. To learn more about Dr. Erica Miller and her books, including Don't Tell Me I Can't Do It, Living Audaciously in the Here and Now, and her newest, Chronologically Gifted, Aging with Gusto, please visit www.drericamiller.com. On Twitter, she's at Erica Miller PhD, and on Facebook, Dr. Erica Miller. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. And we do need to hang out with girls. And I'm in Texas, too. So we will talk. It would be such a pleasure. I like face-to-face. -face. I, like, I like to give you a bosom hug. Excuse oh, the word. Let's do it. Oh, my gosh. Let's do it. Well, we're neighbors. Malibu, Hidden Hills. But you have to go over hey. to Texas to hang out with Roy. <laughs> no biggie. Hey, I'm there. I'm there in two weeks. I'm there all the time. So we will talk. Okay. It was a lot of fun for me. I hope for you, too. Oh, me, too. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my amazing guest today, Christine Carlson and Dr. Erica Miller, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. 
Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of Consciously Curated Talk Radio from the Heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.